the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel. As I went down in the river to pray, studying about that good old way, and who shall wear the starry crown? Good Lord, show me the way. Oh, sisters, let's go down, let's go down, come on down. Oh, sisters, let's go down, down in the river to pray. As I went down in the river to pray, studying about that good old way, and who shall wear the robe and crown, good Lord, show me the way. Let's go down, let's go down, come on down, come on brothers, let's go down, down in the river to pray. As I went down in the river to pray, studying about that good old way, and who shall wear the starry crown, good Lord, show me the way. Let's go down, let's go down, come on down. Oh, fathers, let's go down, down in the river to pray. As I went down in the river to pray, studying about that good old way, and who shall wear the robe and crown, good Lord, show me. Welcome to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Ray Greenley from the National Prayer Chapel. I've titled this broadcast, Are You Able to Repent? I cannot make the assumption that you are able to repent. 
there are difficulties that are innumerable in our American culture that make it almost impossible for a person to repent. Oh, perhaps in some very shallow manner. But not under salvation. We're going to talk about that today. Almighty God, as we come to your word, you commanded at the very beginning of your ministry that all men should repent. Lord, I'm asking, please, would you give to the American church, would you give to me, would you give to each of us today the ability to repent and the heart to repent. I pray in your name. Amen. The prophet Daniel, he was given the privilege of actually seeing many years in advance Jesus as he comes before the Father and receives the kingdom. Daniel, the seventh chapter, verse 13. I kept looking in the night visions. That is, Daniel kept looking in the night visions. And behold, with the clouds of heaven, one like a son of man was coming. Where was he coming from? Remember, he ascended in the clouds on the mountain from his disciples. He came up to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him, and to him was given dominion, glory, and a kingdom that all the peoples, nations, and men of every language might serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which will not pass away, and his kingdom is one which will not be destroyed. Remember, this is in the context of Daniel 2. And also now in Daniel 7, where beast kingdoms come on the scene and then are ushered off the stage, only to be replaced by another mighty kingdom that ruled over the earth. Now, there are a couple of things said here that are very troubling to me. Let me read it for you. Verse 21. This is Daniel seven twenty-one. I kept looking, and the horn was waging war with the saints and overpowering them. The prophecy is that the saints of God will be overpowered by the Antichrist power, by the little horn that has a mouth and eyes and speaks like a dragon. Until the Ancient of Days came and judgment was passed in favor of the saints of the Highest One, and the time arrived when the saints took position, possession of the kingdom. Now this little crown fellow is spoken of in verse 25 he will speak out against the most high and wear down the saints of the highest 
In other words, he's going to put the saints under him, exhausting them by all of the wickedness. He will intend to make alterations in times and laws, and they will be given into his hand for a time, times and half a time, three and a half years. God's people are going to be under deep persecution. He will wear them out. He will cause them great trouble and sorrow. But the court will sit for judgment and his dominion will be taken away, annihilated and destroyed forever. Then the sovereignty, the dominant the dominion and the greatness of all the kingdoms under the whole heaven will be given to the people of the saints of the highest. His kingdom will be an everlasting kingdom and all the dominions will serve and obey him. And at that point, the vision of Daniel 7 stopped. I want to read a couple of passages of scripture out of the New Testament. In chapter 4 of Matthew, verse 17, from that time Jesus began to preach and teach, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And then, in chapter 7, this is in the Sermon on the Mount, Enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction, and there are many who enter through it. For the gate is small, and the way is narrow that leads to life, and there are few who find it. Verse 21, this is Matthew 7, verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name cast out demons and in your name perform many miracles? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Why would I even ask the question, do you have the ability to repent? Most would quickly say, of course I have the ability to repent. Then why haven't you? Well, I don't need to. I'm saved. I'm on my way to heaven. That's what these people thought in the seventh chapter of Matthew. They thought they were on their way to heaven. But at the end, Jesus said, Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. I am deeply concerned today to the point of tears because In my own life, I have found it difficult 
to repent in such a manner that I knew the Lord had heard my cry. You see, it's not a matter of words. It's a matter of of actions. It's a matter of does my life reflect the reality of my words? And I speak with many of, of you and many people in other places. I listen to, to others speak about the gospel. I hear a, a casualness. I hear a, a self-assurance. Oh, I'm right. I'm ready. I'm good. You're not right, and you're not ready, and you're not good by your judgment. It must be by the judgment of Jesus that you are right, and you are good. And that requires a great deal of humility. Frankly, we don't like humility. We each want to feel comfortable in our own place, in our own way. I watch as men and women say, Oh, I'm good. I'm on my way to heaven. And I watch them spend hours seeking after the things of this world. Not trusting in Jesus, but trusting in their own ability, in their own work. Trusting in their own... In their own strength. Oh, they won't say that. They'll say the right words. But the reality is, they're feasting on the entertainment of the world. They're feasting on their own... Their own lust. They're feasting on their own ideas, their own ways... How will you know the ways of Jesus if you don't spend those hours every day in the scriptures? Well, pastor, I I can't spend that time in the scriptures. Really? You have the same number of hours as everyone else has. What is preventing you from spending those hours? How are you spending your time? Are you spending your time seeking after money? Are you spending your time in frivolity? Are you spending your time on the internet? Are you spending your time watching the television, playing the video games? How do you spend your time? You have time. but you don't have the ability to repent when your heart is filled with a love for Vanity Fair. Now I want to share with you today a portion of Pilgrim's Progress by John Bunyan. Now in the story of Pilgrim's Progress, 
faithful and Christian are traveling through a whole series of places and events. They go through the Valley of Humiliation. They go through the Valley of the Shadow of Death. They go through Pleasant Countryside. But in our day, we live in Vanity Fair. If you have an internet and you have a cell phone, you have a radio, and you love to listen to ESPN or you love to listen to National Public Radio or you're thirsty and you're hungry for what's going on. Inquiring minds want to know. If you're filled with desire for all of the hobbies that go beyond refreshing you but go into actually dissipating your strength and your energy you live in Vanity Fair I want to read to you a little bit about Vanity Fair Evangelist comes and speaks with them. And he says to them, Let the kingdom be always before you. Believe with certainty and consistency the things that are yet unseen. Let nothing that is on this side of eternal life get inside of you. Above all, take care of your own hearts and resist the lusts that tempt you, for your hearts are deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Set your faces like flint. You have all the power of of heaven and earth on your side. Christian thanked Evangelist for his exhortation. And then Christian and faithful asked him to speak of more knowing that he was a prophet. They hoped to hear from evangelists things that would help them resist and overcome trials that they were likely to encounter as they continued on their journey. My sons, you've heard in the words of the gospel that you must go through many tribulations before you enter the kingdom of heaven, and also that in every city you enter, bonds and afflictions await you. Therefore, you cannot expect to travel too far on your pilgrimage without suffering tribulation. You have discovered the truth of these testimonies in the struggles you've already endured, and there are more that will immediately follow. You are almost out of this wilderness and will very soon see the town you will enter next on your journey. In that town you will be set upon by enemies who will be determined to kill you and who will succeed. You can be sure that one or both of you must seal his testimony with blood. So be faithful unto death and the king will give you a crown of life. The one who dies there, although his death will be unnatural and perhaps very painful, will be better off than his companion, 
not only because he will arrive at the celestial city sooner, but also because he will escape many of the miseries that the other will meet on the rest of the journey. So when you come to the town, and this happens to you, then remember me and the things that I have told you. Conduct yourselves like men, and commit the keeping of your souls to your God as you struggle to do what is right. Remember that he is your faithful creator. And then I saw in my dream that when they had left the borders of the wilderness, they immediately saw a town before them. The name of the town is Vanity, meaning foolishness. And in that town there is a year-around market called Vanity Fair. It bears its name because the town that hosts the fair is only concerned with things that are unimportant and vain. All that is bought and sold at the fair is likewise vain and worthless. All that is bought cometh to vanity. This fair is no new business, but has been established from ancient times. Almost 5,000 years ago, there was a pilgrim walking to the celestial city, just as Christian and faithful were doing. Belzebub, Apollyon, and Legion, with their companions, seeing that the pilgrim's path went right through the town of vanity, conspired together to set up a fair in which all sorts of vain merchandise were sold all year long. This merchandise consisted of houses and lands, trades, places, honors, petitions, titles, countries, kingdoms, lusts, pleasures, delights of all sorts, such as whores and lewd entertainment, wives, husbands, children, masters, servants, blood, bodies, souls, silver, gold, pearls, precious stones, and whatever. Moreover, at this fair can always be seen those who are juggling and cheats and playing games, plays, fools, apes, knaves, rogues, and that of every kind. Also to be seen at no charge are the thefts and murders and adulteries and false witnesses, who cause death with their lies. As in other fairs of less importance, where there are several rows and streets all properly named for the different wares that are vended there, so also Vanity Fair has the proper places, streets, rows, countries, kingdoms, where the wares of this fair can be found. Here is the British row, the French row, the Italian row, the Spanish row, the German row, and I would add the American row, the Chinese row, the Russian row. Here vanities of all sorts are sold. Also as in other fairs where one particular commodity is in great demand, so it is in Vanity Fair. Now, as I said, the way to the celestial city lies right through this town. By the way, he lists religion as one of those items that can be purchased in Vanity Fair. 
Anyone going to the celestial city who will not go through the town must go out of the world. The prince of princes himself, when he was here, that is, Jesus, went through this town to his own country. I think it was Belzebub, the chief lord of the fair, who invited him to buy some of his vanities. He even offered to make him lord of the fair if only he would show him reverence as he went through the town. Because the prince was such a person of honor, Belzebub took him from street to street and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a little time to, if possible, allure the blessed one to cheapen himself and buy some of the vanities. But the prince had no interest in the merchandise and left the town without spending so much as one penny on anything there. The fair is great and ancient and long-standing. Now these pilgrims, as I said, must pass through this vanity fair. And so they did. As they entered into the fair, they created a great commotion, and all the people in the fair turned their attention to the two pilgrims. There were several reasons for this. First, the pilgrims were dressed differently from the people trading at the fair. In other words, can I put it bluntly? They were not wearing sexualized clothing that drew attention to themselves. The people of the fair looked at them in astonishment. Some said they were fools, some said they were lunatics, and some said they were just plain outlandish. Secondly, as strange as the pilgrims' attire appeared to their onlookers, their speech was judged even stranger. Very few could even understand what the pilgrims said, since they spoke the language of the promised kingdom rather than the language of the world. That is, they spoke about eternal things. They didn't use the F word. Their language was not crude or rude. It was not as the world speaks. So from one end to the other of the fair, they seemed like barbarians to the others. Do you hear what Bunyan is saying? By their speech and by their appearance, it was plain that these two pilgrims would not participate in the things of darkness. Now thirdly, the thing that most annoyed and puzzled the merchants was that these pilgrims put no value on the fair's goods. They didn't even enjoy looking at them, and when the merchants called out to them to buy this or that, the pilgrims put their fingers in their ears and cried out, Turn away mine eyes from beholding vanity, and looking upward, upward. They signified that their trade and traffic was in heaven. One merchant, observing the strange conduct of the pilgrims, mockingly said to them, What will you buy? But they, looking sternly at him, answered, We buy the truth. This caused great offense. Please, do you hear what I'm talking about? Today, many are offended by straight preaching. 
Many of you have been offended when I said to you, I don't believe there will be a secret rapture. I don't find it in Scripture, and I didn't find it in Daniel 7 or in any of the other prophecies of Scripture. I find that Jesus is coming, and he could come at any moment. I believe in the imminent return of Jesus. But I recognize... Oh, brother, how do I even talk about it? I recognize the pride of the human heart. And when you are so enamored by Vanity Fair, by all of the things of the world, when you're so enamored with things and with privileges, and you're so enamored by how people are going to think about you, what your standing is with them, as you're concerned about your prosperity and and getting ahead, as you're concerned about your debt, your education, as you're concerned about all of these things, they crowd into your heart, they crowd into your mind. And then if you are reading the scriptures, you begin to imagine things that are not true. You begin to add to the word of God out of your own mistaken thinking and believing. You begin to be critical of Bible characters. You begin to be critical of of others. You begin to be proud of your knowledge and it becomes a weapon that causes separation and division. There's nothing more painful for a wife or a husband to have their partner filled with pride, claiming to be something they're not, and causing the whole family to suffer because of their arrogance. It's very painful to watch. I've asked the question today, do you have the ability to repent? Jesus gave us a command to repent. So why would we not repent? Because we've, in America, lost the perception We've lost our our ability to see the desperate need for repentance. We've lost our sense of the wickedness of pride and arrogance. We're so sure we have the truth. American exceptionalism. I was raised in a in a denomination that said we have the truth. And by that they did not mean we have Jesus. They meant we have the whole scheme of of what's going to happen in the future and the eschatology we have the whole we we know 
what God is about. And you must listen to us or you're going to go to hell. We have the truth. I thought Pilate's question to Jesus was an extremely important question. It's just tragic that he didn't wait long enough for Jesus to answer the question when Pilate said, what is the truth? Well, the truth is a person. His name is Jesus. I cannot rest in my theological prowess, my understanding of the scriptures. I don't worship the Bible. I believe it's the infallible word of God. But I don't worship the scriptures. I worship the man, Jesus. And when I look at Jesus, I see my utter unworthiness. And if I'm unworthy, how can I speak about the speck that's in your eye when there's a a beam in my own. I have cried out to the Lord over this issue. I've wept much before him. We are blocked from being able to repent by our lust for the vanity fair. You have no interest in repenting if you already think you're good to go. But if you ask your wife or your husband or you ask friends, they would quickly identify those places in your life where you are very difficult to deal with, where there is a hardness in your spirit. You see, what makes it impossible to repent for us is that we are filled with so much of Vanity Fair. In Bunyan's story, there are people of the way who believe that they are Christ followers, but they live in Vanity Fair. They believe that they're on their way to heaven, but they don't have a pure heart. They don't have a pure mind before Jesus I know the Lord must do a powerful new work in my heart. And I'm asking him to please do that. And I know that that means for me shutting off all of the outside 
influences that fill the heart and the soul with foolishness and vanity. I know it means separating myself out by deliberate action to have that time and that energy to just be in the presence of Jesus and let him minister to my heart. And let me have time to worship Jesus, to express my gratitude and my sorrow, to have that precious time Do you remember the parable that Jesus spoke about the man, the farmer who went out to sow his seed? Do you remember he sowed his seed among thorns and the thorns were identified? Number one was responsibilities. You need to get rid of a lot of responsibilities that are just taken on by ego by your sense that you're a a wonderful person. You're not a wonderful person and neither am I. Jesus is the wonderful person. He's the only wonderful person. It's responsibilities that become a thorn it's the love of other things that we want to spend our time in our den of filth filth created by sin by brokenness by anger, by bitterness, by unforgiveness. The Holy Spirit wants to come in power. He wants to use every person who will surrender fully and completely. I I tell you the truth. I go back and I read the stories of old-timers who who laid it all on the line for Jesus, who did great exploits for the kingdom of God by the power of Jesus. They were not enamored with the flesh, the world, or the devil. Their whole attention was caught up with Jesus. That's what I want from my life. That's what I want for your life. I want you to be so enamored by Jesus Christ that he will fill your heart, your time, your energy, that you will hunger after Jesus. I kept looking, and that horn was waging war with the saints and overpowering them. How does the devil wage war with you? Well, he knows the lust of your heart. 
He knows what you pine for. He knows what your bucket list is. Do you know what I had to do with my bucket list? (laughs) I put it in the trash. I only have two things now that I desire. Number one, that I be brought into the fullness of the kingdom of Jesus Christ and meet him in the clouds of glory. And number two, that I not come alone, that I bring many others with me. That's my bucket list. Oh, would I like to go visit Glacier National Park? Would I like to go to the Rockies that I love so much? I was born in Denver, Colorado. Colorado is a great grief to me today because it's turned into a hellhole of sin and wickedness. And God's judgment is being poured out on California. God's judgment is being poured out in Oregon and Nevada. The heat is so intense. There's a fire, a huge fire that has now consumed over 300 square acres in Oregon. They're saying that fire will probably not be contained and put out until this fall sometime. I see the the weather anomalies. I watch and I read the scriptures. And the scriptures tell me that God's judgments will come upon the wicked. And those judgments are now coming. I suspect that by fall, September, October, November, there will be very serious food shortages in America. And some of you may even starve to death. I recognize that in the Great Depression of the 20s, history tells us that some 7 million Americans died of hunger. We will see that again. I'm trying to say to you today, if you lack the ability to repent... You must regain that ability, and it's going to take some very serious cutting off of foolishness, even of good things. It's going to require that you take that time with Jesus and get real with him. I'm frankly exhausted trying to build his kingdom. And I've come to a place where I know now that I cannot build his kingdom. I can only obey him. Speak the words he gives me to speak. Love the people he calls me to love. Minister to those he calls me to minister to. Some of you are in desperate, terrible conditions. 
Don't struggle to go back to normal. Struggle now to get to Jesus. You can't recapture what has been lost. It's now time to get to Jesus. It's now time to turn your heart toward heaven. For he is coming in the clouds of glory. The little horn is spoken of again in the 8th chapter. Antiochus Epiphanes was the precursor of the Antichrist of our day. He was a man beyond wicked. He defiled the temple in Jerusalem. The Maccabeans arose and threw him out finally. Daniel, after he's watched these visions, writes that I, Daniel, was exhausted and sick for days. This is Daniel, the eighth chapter, verse 27. And then I got up again and carried out the king's business. But I was astonished at the vision. and There was none to explain it. These visions were exhausting for Daniel. He was an old man. And he was desperately sick. And as he recovered, he got up and went back to his administrative tasks. But first and foremost in his mind and his heart was the people of God. And if you read Daniel chapter 9, He sees that the time, according to Jeremiah, is now time for the people of God to return, to be gathered together. And he begins to give his attention to the Lord God, to seek him by prayer and supplication with fasting, sackcloth, and ashes. He prayed to the Lord his God and confessed and said, Alas, O Lord, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant and loving kindness for those who love him and keep his commandments, we have sinned and committed iniquity and acted wickedly and rebelled, even turning aside from your commandments and ordinances. Moreover, we've not listened to your servants, the prophets who spoke in your name to our kings, our princes, our fathers and all the people of the land. Righteousness belongs to you, O Lord, but to us open shame. Please. What belongs to the American church is open shame. And it's time for us to give our attention to the Lord to seek him by prayer, supplication, fasting, sackcloth and ashes. It's time to pray. But you do not have the ability to repent when you're so filled with all the lust of Vanity Fair. You're going to have to throw Vanity Fair out of your heart. You're going to have to cut off the sounds of the television and the internet and your cell phone. 
You're going to have to cut off the radio and the worldly music that's called Christian. You're going to have to isolate with Jesus. Or you will never repent. And you will continue in this shallow, dumb mode of not being able to speak honestly with the Lord God of heaven about your condition. You can make up things, oh, I'm God's delight, I'm saved, I'm on my way to heaven. Many will say to him in that day, Lord, Lord, did we not perform wondrous miracles? Didn't we do things in your name? And he says, depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. You people who never came into line with the commands and the decisions and the decrees and the ordinances of Almighty God. You went on your own. You went your own way. You lusted after the things you wanted. And you had a piety, but it was a false piety. You cannot repent and be filled with vanity fair. So I I ask you very honestly, are you filled with vanity fair today? Or have you begun the process of carving out of your heart and out of your life those foolish, vanity-filled things that have no eternal value. Does it matter if I rent or if I buy a house? Does it matter if I buy a new car or an old car? Does it ma- What matters? What matters is the kingdom of Jesus and what he tells you to do in order to have the resources and the ability to build his kingdom. It's all about kingdom building. It's all about asking that the will of God would be done in your life so that you could win the lost to Jesus. But if you're lost in your piety and your religion, of what good can you be to the kingdom of Jesus? Well, we're out of time for today's broadcast. I'd love to hear from you. And frankly, I'm asking, will you help cover this month's radio bill? You can write to me at the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22. One nine five, And I'm very grateful for my brother, Richard. He's in Frederick. He sent me a beautiful card, a birthday gift, along with his normal offering for the radio broadcast. Thank you, Richard. You can also go to our our webpage, nationalprayerchapel.com, and there you'll find the broadcasts. You can share them with others. You can also give online. I'm not going to back away. 
I'm going to go straight ahead. I'm going to trust in the name of Jesus. I don't need to be well-liked. I don't need to be popular. I don't need anyone's approval except that approval of my Lord Jesus. I'm forgetting everything behind me and I'm stretching out for the final course of my life, for the grand finale. I'm not going to go out with a whimper. I'm going to go out with a shout of victory in the name of Jesus. I want you to do the same. It's time to get right with Jesus. Almighty God, I come today pleading your mercy for your people. I come pleading your mercy for your church. I ask, Lord, that a great wave of conviction from your Holy Spirit would begin to break upon the American church, the American pastors. I ask, Lord, in your great mercy to forgive us, for we have sinned against you. We have been like the world. We have been filled with the pleasures of Vanity Fair. Lord, forgive us. I pray your mercy and your grace for every person listening today. I pray for your blessing. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Again, you've been listening to Pastor Ray from the National Prayer Chapel. I pray for you. Please pray for me. I love you. I'm concerned for you. God bless you today with strength and courage to repent, to be honest with Jesus. I'd love to meet you in person. One day soon, we will. God bless you. I love you. I'll talk soon. Jesus.